Uh, I'm excited to get into our message for the night, and our passage is actually uh, the most famous summary, the most famous summary in all of history of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, and that is, it's the message of all that God has done for us, the message that raises the dead and gives hope to millions, the message that took this drug dealer and drug addict and took me and made me a pastor to stand before you now and proclaim the hope of Christ. That's the message we're going to be looking at today, and our passage is going to be in John 3.16. So I want to go ahead and read our passage, pray and dig in, and to, to read, I'm going to have Jonathan Ingalls. Would you go to come on up and read for us? Yeah, appreciate it. Give John a hand. Yeah, let's go, John! God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. You recited that. I appreciate that. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, you gave your son. And we gathered together today to hear this message. And I'm praying, please, by the power of the Spirit, would it land afresh on our souls in such a way that we would be drawn to you, to know you, to walk with you, to follow you. Father, my words can't do it. Uh, I'm a weak, impotent man, but by your powerful Spirit, you can raise the dead. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that through this message now. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Man. And so as I mentioned, John 3.16, it summarizes the good news about Jesus Christ for the world. Uh, that is what God has done to save you, what God has done to save me. But before we get to what God has done, what he do, the author John first tells us why. Why did God save us? What made him make that decision? So look at that verse with me. You guys should all have that piece of paper with you. It says, for God so loved the world. So what we see here then is that love motivated God. Love compelled and moved God to save us. But, but listen, the love of God is much different than the way we normally use that term nowadays. See, most often uh, when we say that we love something, what we really mean is that we really, really like it. Like, I love hot Cheetos, and if you know me, you know that's true. If you give me a bag of hot Cheetos, I will eat it all, and it hurts my stomach, and I don't care. That red dust on my fingers is like gold to me. Uh, I love Reese's peanut butter cup. Note that I said Reese's, not Reese's peanut butter cups. I love that new sock feeling. Uh, I love fresh brewed coffee. I love my Bose noise-canceling headphones. You get the picture. For us in our culture, love often means that you really like something because it somehow brings you pleasure. It somehow brings you a good, pleasant experience. But as soon as that item or that person doesn't bring you that same experience, your love dries up, uh, right? And that's why you probably broke up with your last boyfriend or girlfriend who you supposedly loved. Okay, so then what makes God's love different? What's different about God's love. Put another another way, what's God's love like? Well, in this gospel summary, we see some unique features of God's love. So first, check out how the passage begins. For God so loved the world, not the world loved God. That order is important because it shows us that God doesn't wait for us to love him. Rather, he comes after us. He pursues us. He seeks us. He loves us first. 
This past summer, E-Free Student Ministries, we hosted a, a local mission trip and we called it Serve Sheboygan. And it was really cool. We reached out to all our neighbors uh, around the church and offered our services to do anything from landscaping, painting, removing trash. And while I was at one of the neighbors' house, uh, just going over the details of the projects that we were going to do for her family, uh, at some point she was like, oh yeah, I'll go pick up the materials. And, and I was like, that's when I told her, like, oh, no, no, no. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pay for everything. We came here to love and serve and bless you. And in that moment, tears just welled up in her eyes because she was overwhelmed by how we took the initiative to love her first. Before she even knew about us, we already committed. We already decided to love and serve her. And that's what God's love is like. He takes the initiative. He acts first. He's not waiting on you. Before you even knew his name, he's in passionate pursuit of your heart. See, some of you thought you came tonight uh, because a friend invited you. You think that's why you're here. <laughs> no, God brought you here. God brought you here to hear the message of his love for you and that he's after you. And he wants you to know. He wants, to know that he, he wants you to know that he loves you. And that leads us up to the next feature of God's love. Note the passage says, God so loved the world. Students, this is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. Did you know that God doesn't just only love those with abs and straight teeth and good skin complexion? That's not all who he loves. He does, he's not like that shallow guy who loves you because the way you look in your jeans. He doesn't just love the best and brightest, the homecoming queen and, and king, the captain of the soccer team, the valedictorian. No, it says he loves the world. The world. If you have acne, if you struggle with your weight, if you have curly hair, if you have straight hair, if you're tall or short, if you read poorly, if you're terrible at math, the God of the universe loves you. And he's committed to you. Not because of who you are or what you look like or what you can do, but because of who he is. And even more incredible, when the text says God so loved the world, it also implies that God loves billions and billions and billions of people who say, I don't want you. Who put the middle finger to God's face and disavow him and reject him and humiliate him and mock him. God still loves them. He loves his enemies too. That's what it means when he says God loves the world. Now I want to be clear here because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. God loves the world, but not because he's a people pleaser, not because he's needy and weak and, and he's in heaven just begging you, please love me, please love me. That's not God. That's not the vision we get of him in scripture. Uh, rather, we're told that God doesn't need you. Did you know that? He does not need you. God is supremely satisfied and content, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, dwelling in glory with angels worshiping for him forever for all of eternity. He is infinitely full of joy and peace and power. So don't mistake his passion and his commitment to love a broken world, to love you as a sign of a servile neediness. That's not God. But rather, it's a sign of a love that has no comparison, no match. There's no love like his. Now, when God loves, he doesn't just sit on his hands. You know, he doesn't just sit on his hands. He doesn't just say it with his words. 
Uh, he proves it. He proves it with his actions. Look back at the passage if you have it. For God so loved the world, this love propelled what? That he gave. He gave his only son. Note that connection. Note that connection. God's love, real love, not counterfeit love, it leads to action. See, for God, love is measured not by our social media posts or text messages or hugs or sweet promises, but what you're willing to give up. What you're willing to sacrifice. Put another way, what does it cost to love you? That's how God measures love. And here in this passage, it says that God loved us so much, again, not out of neediness, but out of power and strength, that he gave his son from heaven and all his glory to come down to earth to die in our place on a bloody cross. He gave us, he gave you his precious, innocent, pure, holy son, and he died for you. He died for you. See, when religious leaders, they accused and shamed Jesus, when Roman soldiers beat and spit in his face, when they forcefully grabbed his arms and legs and they spread him out on the cross and they hammered nails into his arms and feet, Jesus didn't call it quits. He didn't say, now heaven's come down and remove me from this pain. He went all the way to the bloody end for you, for you. When you didn't even care. <laughs> when most days you don't care. Students, who is going to love you like God? Who is going to sacrifice for you like God? Who is going to go to the bloody end on the cross for you? Not your boyfriend right now, I promise you, or your girlfriend. They don't love you like that. God does, though. Now, what's the purpose? For what aim did God give his son? Why did he give us his son? Look back at the passage again if you have it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's the purpose that whoever believes, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I love that word, whoever. <laughs> Man, whoever is an amazing word. It means that it doesn't matter what you have done in the past. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church your whole life like the Apostle Paul or you come from an orphanage. It doesn't matter if you're self-righteous or a drug addict. The text still says, whoever believes. And what's interesting about that word believes is that it only appears as a verb in the Gospel of John. So that, what I mean by that, it doesn't just, it's not the noun belief. It's always believes. It's not the noun faith. It's, it's believing. And I think that shows us something. Rather than uh, faith being this moment in time where you say, I believe in Jesus, you come to him, and then you have this moment, and the rest of your life you live however you want, that's not the type of faith God is talking about here. That's not the type of faith that saves us from perishing. Rather, believing encompasses all of your life, what you do at home in private and what you do in public, committing each day to trusting and obeying and abiding in Jesus Christ. And whoever does this, whoever surrenders to Christ and follows him until the end of their days, they will not perish. They, you won't perish. Those who trust and believe in Jesus will never perish they will not suffer eternal condemnation justly for their sins, but they will have a restored relationship with God, the fullness and beauty and joy forever, eternal life. 
eternal life. And, and that begins the moment you give your life away. Some of you, I know, have been to church your whole life. And some of you are coming from no church at all. It doesn't matter. It still says whoever believes, if you believe right now and trust and surrender your life to Jesus, really do it. Really commit. Not just say you did it, but commit. Full heartedly give your life to him and, and for the sake of others, advance his kingdom. You won't perish. You'll have eternal life. And this is the gospel message. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his son. He died in your place that if you believe, if you trust and follow him, you will have life forever. And students, I'm praying that that gospel message will capture your heart forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please, please have mercy on us. We are hard-hearted creatures. We, we're dull-minded. We, 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 we naturally want to reject you and pursue lesser things. But Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear that your Son is risen. And he's glorious and good and true. And he loves us to the bloody end like no one else. I pray that would come and he would change our lives now, Father, by the Spirit. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.